This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, writer and the protagonist of Heroin Training. Today, we are reflecting on The Artist's Way, Week 10, Recovering a Sense of Self-Protection. Joining me is my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, how is your art life? My art life is full of synchronicity, Zandra. Again? Oh, again, again, again. But this one I saved. So I... When this ha- when this event happened, I thought about immediately telling you, but I decided no. I'll tell her on air because I want everyone to hear her reaction. So let me tell you, Zandra, my art life is full of synchronicity. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned Eve Babbitts on the show. Uh, she's a writer and photographer and, you know, uh, just a person who embodies the philosophy of the art life and has become one of my heroes, especially because she she writes so much about L.A. and uh, and um, so much of her work has been around here. Um, but we we had a little squee session talking about our love for Eve Babbitt's again on the show recently. And then out of nowhere. Last week, I get an email from an artist who uh, who basically invited me to come to a photo shoot in his gallery show. He had an exhibition up at a gallery, Tag Gallery in LA, and um, I looked at his work and I thought it was so beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's all like red and gold and um, brown and black and white, and those are like my colors. So I I, I looked at his you know, his work and I said, this is so my thing. Um, and so I show up, uh, his name's Aaron Barnea. He's a, he's a painter and artist and, um, he does visual effects, all, all types of things, very much living an art life himself. And he, I'm looking through his, his gallery show and he shows me a photo that he wants to recreate. Essentially. He says, here is what I was wanting to go for. And it's like this, it's this chess game. And he says, oh, it's this famous chess match between um, uh, Marcel Duchamp and uh, this woman, Eve Babbitts. And I go, are you kidding me? This I know, woman. I know who that is. <laughs> the Eve Babbitts. The Eve Babbitts. And so we shoot all of these photos inspired by Eve Babbitt's work. It was her idea. It's this famous photo. And um and it's like it was just so much fun. His art is amazing. So we're shooting in his gallery space, but we're also shooting photos inspired by Eve Babbitt's. And this is like two days before my uh my new art show opens up um, at a different gallery. And it was just like, I mean, talk about synchronicity, you know, out of nowhere, I get an email from this really cool, talented artist wanting me to shoot in his gallery. And it's then doing photos inspired by my freaking idol. And it was just, it felt so right. It just felt so right. And I just couldn't wait to tell you because we had just been talking about how much we love Eve Babbitt's. And then there I was days, you know, days later, um, making work inspired by her, uh, by someone else's idea. You know, I, I, he didn't know that I loved her work. So I just couldn't wait to tell you that because, gosh, my art life is full of synchronicity and the art life is full of synchronicity. 
Oh, I so appreciate hearing a story like this where it's like there is no you I I can't like try to logic my way into saying like, oh well this happened because this is a da. Like you you could have like applied for this job and been the perfect applicant, but it just happened totally because of magic. And that's such a good point because like so he didn't know that I love you, Babbitts. He didn't know that his specific like color scheme of all his work is also mine. He did not know that. Um, he didn't know that I myself do fine art and had uh, my own work going up in a gallery two days later. Like he didn't know any of that. And so just like you said, I could have applied and been the perfect candidate, but I, I didn't. It was a completely random choice. Do you find yourself, like, I find myself searching for an explanation. Do you relate to that at all? Or are you at the stage in your artist's journey where you're like, yes, (laughs) just keep it coming? I think when it's right, it's right. And it's funny because there's, you know, tasks in this week of the artist's way about, you know, doing nice things for ourselves, making promises to ourselves, um... And one of my things was like, I'm going to say yes to receiving this week. I'm going to say yes to receiving. Part of that's because I'm moving. So it's like receiving help because moving is stressful. But this was such a moment of like, I'm just not going to question it. It's like none of this was a push to make something happen. It was the opposite. It was just perfect. And I'm not going to question it at all. I'm just going to go, okay, I'm doing something right. Cool. Keep it coming. Ah, I just want to sink that in. I want to let that sink in because that is so necessary for well-being and for art living. So thank you for the example. My pleasure. And thank you, Artist Way, for clearly giving me some momentum right now that's attracting the right people and the right projects to me without me having to try. Sandra, how is your art life? My art life is at home. I realized I was, I just like had a, I had a check-in with myself and with my friend Karen, who helped me realize this, that like I have been trying to I've been trying to be open to growth and expansion and be like, I'm going to put myself out there for things that I am uncomfortable with so that I can I can grow. I'm like open to that. And the danger of that is like trying to exert too much effort into coming up with somewhat arbitrary goals. <laughs> and I was like so hyper focused on my career where I was like, how can I like how can I go further that I was missing out on what I'm really dreaming about all the time for fun, which is like, I just want to spruce up our home nicely. <laughs> that is what I'm, that is really the dream for me beyond any like work milestones. So I've decided to just take a step back from that and keep going with the work that I'm doing and already love and not push myself until there is something worth pushing for. And instead, direct my creative energies into reorganizing our flat. So 
just from some simple decluttering, we have a home cinema space now. Um, tell me more, please. Okay. Well, we have this space under, we have a, a loft bed, which has essentially freed up an extra room in our bedroom. So we have this den area, we call it, underneath the bed. And it has like all of the cozy cushions and things. And I realized that it had kind of accumulated all of the extra fun stuff. So it has like all these board games. And um, we put some like extra overflow books from our bookshelf there. And I realized just by taking out everything and only putting back the things that support us having movie night and some like nice coffee table books that are the kind of books where you just want to like casually flick through, like those are the only things that live in that space now. And everything else uh, will have to find a, a space for in a separate project. But just like dedicating it as like this is specifically for this purpose has really like has really cleared my mind because I'm not sitting there trying to enjoy a movie and I'm like my eyes are going all over the place. I talked about this before about just moving the bookshelf out of there as a first step of this. Just having like fewer activities in my viewing range helps me relax and focus on the activity that we we most want to have there, which is watching movies. There's something in both of our updates here about ease and about not pushing. Like you started this by saying, you know, you know, instead of pressuring yourself to like put yourself out there and do things that make you uncomfortable, you're focusing your attention on something that makes you happy. Yeah. And feels really satisfying. And it's it's so much nicer to listen to that. And it is very inspiring. I mean, setting up a home space is creative. It was one of those moments where I was like, I caught myself thinking, well, once I do my work, I can one day have this. And realizing that if I just let myself not search for more work that I don't need to be doing, I can have the dream now if I give it my attention now. Wow, what a powerful statement. If I, if I stopped searching for work that I don't need to be doing. That really just hit me because I do that too. And that's what this chapter is about. So this chapter, recovering a sense of self-protection. You and I love boundaries. And so this chapter felt like a... Um, I felt very in, very much in alignment with what this what this chapter was all about. How did you how did you do with this week? What stood out to you? Well, it's funny because I think we started to touch on the the themes of this chapter last week. We started talking about this sort of finisher type a getting the work done personality that we both have or quality that we both have and how we are applauded for it and how we were raised to you know with a lot of approval around that quality but then this chapter addresses the workaholism aspect of that and then, you know, there you are saying, instead of searching for more work to do for no freaking reason, 
I did something creative that actually satisfied me. <laughs> it was I laughed when I started reading it because I was like, whoa, we just started getting into this the week before. Um, so it's like, you know, we we knew what was coming or it felt so right that this chapter appeared right after the conversation we started last week. Um, but, you know, I was excited to talk to you about this because, I mean, I definitely, definitely do the over scheduling, you know, too many tasks, arbitrary goals that I set for myself for no reason, pressure on myself, all of these things. And we have been having great discussions on the show about like the amazing creative projects that come when I just give myself space when I don't have something scheduled in. That's when the poem gets written. That's when you create this amazing cinema room, you know, like it's because we're not trying to do something. And I think it takes a lot of like intentional deprogramming, though. Yeah. Do you relate to the like workaholic label? Or is it something that you confidently can say like, no, that's not me, not anymore or never was? Oh, it was. I definitely felt that way in school, like all the way through school. And then um, at Oxford, I was surrounded by workaholics and the curriculum encourages that sort of because it's self-led study for an English degree. It's just like read as much as you can. Um, there, there isn't really a stopping point. And so I learned that I need to define the stopping point for myself because I don't get any credit for like saying technically I read every page of every Dickens novel. I realized that that's not like I don't get any praise for that if I don't have anything useful to say about it. So it was about like defining how much work I had to do in order to produce like quality insight and quality writing. And so it was it was a huge shift from like the way that I was being graded in high school was like you turn in your homework, you get a check or whatever. Um like you do this quiz, it's very like task oriented. But then um I wrote about this in an a, an old essay called Work is Allowed to Feel Lovely where I created this self-care system around my Oxford essay writing of going to the ice cream parlor and writing my writing my essays each week and how like I learned to do these strange things that no one else around me was doing just because I I craved feeling happy and like adding some some whimsy into my library life so that was really the turning point for me. And now when I hear the word workaholic, I'm like, no, 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 I mustn't. I mustn't surrender to that because it's so easy to fall in. I think my favorite quote from this week was, I just laughed out loud when I read it. It was, if we're honest with ourselves, we know which blocks are the toxic ones for us. This is the block we defend as our right. <laughs> I thought that was so great because 
Right. It's like if we get super defensive about something, that probably means that's the thing that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I thought it was so interesting that so many of these blocks this week that are discussed, the deadlies, the workaholism, you know, um, taking care of friends and family, issues with food, these are things that, like, could be good things, could be healthy things, things we're applauded for, like um, romantic relationships, like friends and family, like working, like food, like there are all these things that sort of have healthy sides to them. But the trap is that then we can convince ourselves, like, well, it's really important to make time for your friends and your family and, you know, be generous and give give to them. It's really important. Like, I, I, I want a relationship, so I should be dating or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I should be giving to, to my partners and, you know, um, you know, feeding yourself is really important. Eating healthy is really important. Like, okay, but there's a flip side to that too, right? Which is like obsessive eating, like obsessive dieting or compulsive uh, unhealthy eating, whatever it is. Like all of these things sort of have their bad side. And so I loved that quote because it, for me, it really exemplified that like, yeah, like we can get defensive about, no, like love is important. It's the most important thing in the world. (laughs) But that indicates if that defensiveness comes up, you know, that um, that indicates that that's what needs to be addressed, that that's what we're blocking with. And I just thought that was a really great way to check us as the readers on where the problem may lie. Even just thinking about what I get defensive about, I can feel it specifically in my head when I get into that mode of like, no, I need to be doing this. And it's it's one of those uh, like workaholic type things or I don't really believe it. I'm just like kind of spiraling it. I can feel it like in my brain, which which speaks to like this is my head talking and not like my whole being. I love that. And I think that that is a that, that's like an observation that comes from a lot of years of self-development that you've done. Right. Like noticing your body reactions, noticing the difference between like your intuition and your gut and the sense of peace and then like monkey mind anxiety brain, like running a program like that's the sort of thing someone notices only when they've really done work on themselves. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I but I think that I wish more people knew had that toolkit. Right. Like noticing your body response to different ideas. Well, I encourage everyone listening to try it when you just pay attention to like where in your body do you feel like I need to do my my morning pages versus I need to drop everything and do a work task. Well, speaking of that kind of boundary setting, part of the week was setting these bottom line boundaries. Did anything come up for you that you want to share on the show? Yes. I I set several. And um, I set these back in December when I did The Artist's Way. And as I go through each week and revisit my notes 
from the corresponding week we're covering, I found this list and about half of them were things that have just, I've taken on automatically and I was like, oh, wow, I don't have to think about that anymore. And then a couple of others, I really needed the reminder again. So one of them was, I will no longer work through physical pain. And this was coming off of a weekend where I was having some stomach troubles and was just kind of feeling out of it and was like, no, I need to do the budget meeting anyway. Like I can get through it. I can push through it. And I, I like felt kind of like a martyr for insisting on that. And then I, I opened up my notebook and saw this reminder and was like, I, I don't, I promised myself I wouldn't do that. Oops. Um, so it's, it's really good to set that reminder because when I'm in the physical pain, I'm not in the clearest headspace to make a good decision. So I've recommitted to that. I signed my signature again. <laughs> and the other one I did was I will no longer complain. I don't feel good when I complain. Mm. I love that one. I can have like constructive discussion about things that need to change, but I don't get anything personally out of just like venting about what's wrong with the world, a situation doesn't help me. So that's a bottom line. I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. Um, and that right, there are constructive ways to like make a plan when something's making you unhappy or to like do your brain dump in your morning pages and then change the situation. But that's not the same as just complaining endlessly. Yeah, it's like it's just such a subtle distinction. And there's something to like intentionally saying, like stating a truth of my experience where, you know, I'm feeling heavy about how this is happening. And like just acknowledging that acknowledgement mm -hmm. for me about something that is hard is so different from like complaining about it and placing blame about it because that just it gets me all antsy gosh yeah yeah and you know it doesn't feel good to have those kinds of friendships either i'll just say that you know like mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've become more and more aware of my own uh discomfort in relationships that are built on venting or complaining because it's kind of a trap that's hard to get out of so, like, I, I know people, like, Gala Darling has a rule of, like, you can complain about something two times and then you have to change the behavior. That's the rule that she has with her friends. Like, I'm <laughs> not gonna, Virgo. I'm not gonna listen. Yeah, it's so Virgo. Oh my god, she's such a Virgo. She's like, I'm not gonna listen to this more than two times. I just, I think in our friendships and our creative partnerships and with ourselves, those kind of very specific, like, redirects can be helpful for everyone, everyone involved. I'll, you know, I'll vent in mm. my morning pages, but not to my friends. I'll complain about something twice and then I will stop, you know, like then I have to change the situation or, or not go over it again. Um, yeah, I also, I just want to acknowledge that I love that you, you owned the fact that something was making you feel like a martyr and that that's not a good thing. I think that there is this romanticized idea of like martyr, you know, work ethic or like martyrhood in relationships. And then in actuality, when we're playing that out, 
it is freaking toxic. You know, it's toxic in our relationships with our own bodies or ourselves or in our relationships with other people. Like, if you are feeling like a martyr, stop whatever is happening, please. Like, don't put your body through that. It doesn't make you strong. It means something's wrong. Yeah. And I love that you weren't like, I was just working so hard, you know, you're like, I was just working, working, you know, put, you know, creating and creating and I got drained. No, you were like, man, I was really acting like a martyr and I don't like that. (laughs) I love that. Thank God. And like, I can say that now. I can say it like that now. But when I'm in the moment, I'm like, this is what needs to be done. And I like my suffering is proof of how much I am and fill in the blank. I don't know what I was proving, but yes. I felt like I was proving something. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This whole idea about what we're proving with our suffering is so huge. And I think especially for artists, because we've also been poisoned with the like mentally ill, broke, stressed out, full of romantic drama narrative about artists. We've all been a little plagued by that. I just, I really love this like this space we're in recently, thanks to the artist's way in part, but also just who we are, where we're going. I'd really like to enjoy this. I'd really like to enjoy my life. I'd really like my ideas to come from a place of like, what would feel good? What would be a nice thing to offer my community? Like, how do I want to feel when I wake up? What would feel lovely and whimsical? Like, I really want to offer that to the world. I don't want to offer my suffering and martyrhood. That feels terrible for me and for everyone else. I don't want to like unload that on my friends and like people who consume my art. Oh, I suffered and exhausted myself to give this to you. Um, no, thank you. Like, I don't want it if you're going to make me feel guilty. (laughs) I don't want the artists I admire, by the way, to, like, have that attitude when they're making things. Because then I don't want it. I'm like, please don't give me something that, like, you hurt yourself to make. I'm so glad that we can, like, riff about this and laugh about this. Because as soon as I step out of the studio, I'm in the context of the society where we're still feeling this pressure. Well, and it's nice to have a sense of humor about it, too, right? Yeah, we we have to. It's like a release. And speaking of having something to prove, I also love the quote, fame is really a shortcut for self-approval. Oh. This segment that she had on fame and especially, I mean, Julia Cameron worked in Hollywood. She was married to Martin Scorsese. Like, she knows the fame drug. She knows, you know, the extremes of it. And I really loved that quote, this idea that that's the need that people are trying to meet. It's like they feel this, they've got something to prove. They've got something to prove. They've got something to prove. Fame will validate this thing inside them. But it's like the thing you're really validating is just self-approval. The thing you're looking for is self-approval. So what if you stopped searching for fame or some shortcut? And instead, we're like, oh, what would make me approve of myself? What do I want to create for the world? My mindset has been much more that recently, and I feel a lot happier with myself. You know, what kind of person do I want to be? The right opportunities will come to me if I'm just being a person that I approve of. (laughs) What a goal. Yeah. 
It's an integrity issue too, you know? Yeah. Instead of like, I just want this sort of external success to validate me. I'm like, man, I would feel really bad about myself if I got that through making sacrifices to my own integrity or by playing by rules, even as someone who works in Hollywood, I'm just saying, by playing by rules that I don't approve of. That word approval has been huge for me in the past year because I'm like, I need to be someone I approve of. I am only going to follow rules that I approve of. Grace, did you want to share any bottom lines that you set for yourself this week? You know, I created some bottom lines that some of, some of them were time specific. So I've realized that like, it's really, really helpful for me and for my relationships to have time limits on things because I don't want to get into situations where I resent anyone. So for example, like actors, you know, we sometimes need help with like a self tape. I go, I, I need audition help. Um, and I f- have found that sometimes I'm doing that for people and it spirals into like coaching them and sort of, you know, coaching them on story and directing their auditions and then emotionally coaching them through insecurities. And it's draining. And it's also like not what I do. I'm not an acting teacher or a therapist. And I got into that situation a few times where I was like really uncomfortable, like providing something that I don't want to provide for hours with people. And so I have recently set a a bottom line of like, like how much time I will give someone if I'm helping us with a self tape. And I got really comfortable saying, if you need more than that, please, like, I'm not the person to come to. Yeah. (sighs) So useful. It's so useful. And I feel so much better knowing what I'm agreeing to, you know, and I'm stating it out, like right out in the front, you know, hey, I can help you. Here's what I'm available for. I will not do more. (laughs) It's not a personal thing. It's just how I work. That sounds so helpful on the receiving end, too. Yeah, of that, like, I, think oh, I don't need true. to feel bad for like, oh, is this am I asking too much of grace because you're telling me what is enough for you? Well, and on the flip side, you know, I had a friend say that she needed more. So she was going to go to someone else. And I was like, great. There you go. Yeah. She was like, oh, I really need things to have no restrictions and be all flow. And I was like, awesome. I need the opposite. And she was like, cool. I'll ask someone else. Great. That would have been a stressful afternoon in our relationship. For and both now, of you, yeah. Oh, for both of us, absolutely. Because I wouldn't have been pleasant. That's the thing. Is like, I need to take responsibility for when my, you know, unarticulated boundaries get crossed, then mm. I'm resentful. <laughs> so the other one that I thought I'd share on the show, which is super important that I learned a while ago, but I reiterated for myself this week, was like, I cannot respond to emails in the morning before I've had coffee and done my morning pages. I am fully aware that I am grumpy in the mornings before I have coffee. And so what the hell am I doing responding to emails first thing when I'm not in the mental space to do that? Like, I know that I shouldn't do that. I'm responsible for that. 
I have to set that boundary with myself. I have to have coffee. I have to write before I respond to any emails because I'm just, you know, shooting myself in the foot and also potentially coming across as very abrasive (laughs) towards people I love if I'm responding to people when I don't feel well yet. From a state of ne- of needing and desiring coffee. Yes. And that's a serious thing, though. <laughs> like, that's a serious... Lorelai would never. Lorelai would never. Lorelai Gilmore would never do that. So um, that was a that was actually a, a bottom line I set last year. And then I reminded myself of this year or this week because that's a really important one. And again, it's not just about me and my feelings. It's about having healthier relationships with other people. Respecting myself makes my relationships better. Grace, I feel like we've answered this question several times during this episode. What is the art life? Mm, The art life is whimsical. I love that word, and I'm so glad that you used it. Whimsy, whimsical. It's one of the best words out there. Zandra, what is the art life? Oh, what did you say? It was, the art life is is a life that you approve of. Mm. What an essential reframe. We are so close to the end of this book, the end of this artist's way journey. And we have some exciting things coming up that we want to make sure that you hear about and are informed about. So I'll put in a reminder here that we do have a newsletter for The Art Life. You can find it on our website, theartlife.show. And one of those exciting announcements I'll just share with you right now is that we really love hearing your stories and your experiences of of going through this program and it, it really brings so much richness to our conversations about it so we'd like to dedicate an entire episode to your stories a campfire episode as we call them and the prompt is on our artist dates so please write to us and tell us the story of an artist date that you went on and send it to our email, theartlife at heroinetraining.com. And we would love to read it out loud on the show in a special episode. Campfire episodes are so fun. I love reading people's stories on the show and uh, getting that community aspect back. And um, we've just had so many people write in their reflections about each week of The Artist's Way and, you know, share with us their thoughts on certain chapters, certain essays. But we want to talk about artist dates. We want to talk about the fun things we've done for ourselves and I share ideas. I have a feeling that people, that our listeners are going to have some amazing artist dates to share with us. So I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories so that I can steal all of your ideas. (laughs) (laughs) We can share. share. Yeah, that's right. No scarcity. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So send us your artist dates that you are most excited about. And I want to also put out there that you don't need to have finished 
the artist's way to submit to this. You could the, you this could be your first artist date that you did yesterday. Um, you don't need to be doing the artist's way at all, but if you're participating in the artist date specifically, we would just love to share stories about that and connect over that. Yeah, that's a great point. Like this is something you can share even if you're just starting your journey. We want to hear from you. Zanja, we talked so much today about our own art lives and the way that we structure our work schedules. You shared a story from an essay you've written about how, you know, your work can feel lovely about writing in ice cream shops when you're at university. So for people who want to read that amazing essay, which I remember so well, please tell us where can people find your art? Thank you. You can find my art at heroinetraining.com, and that essay in particular is part of a, a little audiobook series I did for free called A Play in Three Acts, so you can go to heroinetraining.com slash play and press play on that. I'll read it to you. And since we're talking about whimsy, that is what I do in Everyday Wonderland, which is my program for finding wonder where you already are in one-minute mini-adventures that will inspire you to find more whimsy and magic in your everyday life without taking up a lot of your time. So you can read more about that at everydaywonder.land. And it's all subscription-based through my Patreon. Grace, where can people find your art? If you want to follow the day-to-day -day of my art life and also see some of the work I shot with artist Erin Bernea, that can be found on Instagram. My Instagram is gracegordonofficial. I posted one of those Eve Babbitts-inspired photos, and um, I also will link to the artist himself who came up with the idea and whose gallery we shot at. But uh, Instagram, Grace Gordon Official, is a great place to follow me to see what I'm up to. And then the other thing is, I mentioned last episode, but now it is out. Um, I have two pieces at the Sugar Mint Gallery in Pasadena. I've got two uh, witchcraft and occult-inspired um, uh, pen and ink illustrations, which are now at Sugar Mint. So you can visit their website, see the art pieces in their shop, which are available for purchase as of the time that I am saying this. Um, that is something that I am certainly celebrating and can't wait for people to check out. So that will be linked to in our show notes. Amazing. Well, everyone, until next time, from my side of the world, I wish you all a good morning. And from my side of the world, I wish you all a good night. Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson Burns. You can find us online and subscribe to our newsletter at theartlife.show. And send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91617. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.